Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Episode 32, and I can't wait. My good friend Jarrett Bailey, NFL contributor to Fansided and Sports Illustrated now, is all set. He'll be joining the show shortly to talk Julian Edelman, mock drafts, among other things. I can't wait to get into the Masters, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, of course, Hideki Matsuyama, an absolutely incredible weekend down in Augusta. And a final word that's going to get heavy. I'm warning you right now, we're getting into Dante Wright. We're getting into what happened in Virginia that just surfaced last week with a lieutenant getting pulled over and treated like an absolute second-class citizen. We're going to get into all of that, so stick with us. But first, this monologue all over Augusta and the incredible weekend it was at the Masters. What a win for Hideki Matsuyama. I mean, I was shocked actually to read afterwards to look up Matsuyama to see he was only 29 years old because here is a guy who finally gets his first major tournament win and it feels like he's been doing this forever he made his first appearance in the Masters at 19 joined the tour back in 2013 and you want to talk about a guy who has paid his dues who has been one of the most consistent golfers of the past decade yet that major championship was always so elusive for him. Had plenty of other wins, I believe five other tournament wins, but could never secure a major. And in absolutely wild fashion, wins the 2021 Masters, really what felt like the first Masters in two years. I mean, of course, you had the 2020 Masters not too long ago, just in November. It didn't feel like the Masters. You know, I really struggled to get into it. It was competing Saturday with college football. The final day, Sunday, had to compete with the NFL. As a result, had the worst day four Masters television ratings since, I believe, 1957. Uh, I mean, November just didn't feel like the Masters, but we were back. The beginning of spring, Augusta was, with the exception of a couple hours on Saturday, absolutely beautiful for four straight days, and it was everything that the Masters is all about. The only thing this tournament was missing, really, was Tiger Woods, who of course is at his home in Florida right now recovering from that horrific car crash. Uh, I mean, the only thing that could have made this weekend better would have been Tiger out there competing, trying to tie Jack Nicklaus's record of six green jackets. But Hideki Matsuyama, I I mean, we just need to enjoy what we just witnessed from the 29-year-old and celebrate him for everything that he's done, everything he's accomplished in the game of golf being by far the best Japanese golfer to ever play on the tour. Uh, I mean, and there's a long list of Japanese golfers that goes back for decades. Matsuyama, even though he's only been on the tour eight, nine years, I think already the most accomplished. The first to win a major, the first to win the Masters. What a weekend it was. And right now, I think with everything going on in the Asian community, the Asian American community, this win was so much more important because it happened when it did. 
you know, in, in a year where Asian Americans have been for, for the better part of 13, 14 months now, subject to astronomically high rates of hate crimes, more than they've seen in decades since maybe the Vietnam War or maybe post-World War II. I mean, it's been the most hostile environment for Asian Americans in at least 30 years this past year. And for Matsuyama to go out there and deliver the performance that he did this weekend, it was, you know, it was everything to the Asian American community that Tiger breaking onto the scene in the 90s was for the African American community. And that's the way I took this weekend. He was absolutely incredible, gracious, stoic. I, I mean, his demeanor is, and you know, you can look at golf. And I've done it before. I've looked at golf and I've said, you know, I wish there was more emotion in the sport. And it's true. And I think with some of the younger guys, you're getting that. Tiger, of course, was always loaded with emotion. You know, you're getting that over the past decade or two. It's changing slowly, but it's getting there. Matsuyama, though, when you watch his game and how calm and how poised he is, I don't take that as that old world, stiff, boring version of golf. I take that as just this guy is so disciplined. And, you know, he, he wasn't perfect off the tee this weekend. He had some errant drives. He ended up in the rough in the woods a couple times. And his mindset wasn't, oh, crap, I can't get a birdie now. And he lets the hole get, or even the whole day get away from him. It was, okay, this hole, I'm going to save par. And then the next hole, I'm going to attack and be aggressive and birdie. I mean, just so methodical. His timing on his swing, so consistent. Watching him play, like I said, he's not the most exciting or entertaining guy, but watching him play is just really a thing of beauty. And, you know, when you look at this past week, right, shift over to baseball with me really quickly. Look at the Cleveland Indians and their infielder, Yu Chang, who the other night made a pretty costly throwing error that hurt the Indians' chance at winning a baseball game. And Yu posted some of the direct messages he got on Twitter and all sorts of hateful, racist, derogatory words thrown his way, telling him to kill himself, calling him every racist name in the book. Those that, by the way, most of which weren't even appropriate for his nationality. I mean, just any Asian racist slur that could have been thrown his way was because of a throwing error in a damn baseball game. I mean, what's gone on the past year, what's really gone on four decades but has come to light in the past year is sickening and it's just so disgusting and disturbing and for Matsuyama to come out there on golf's biggest stage on golf's biggest weekend and deliver the performance that he did is so encouraging and there were so many great storylines and great performances I mean Will Zalatoris the 24 year old he burst on the scene with an incredible weekend he had a legitimate chance on day four at challenging Matsuyama at coming back and potentially winning this thing Trailed him by just a stroke when Matsuyama was on the 17th hole. I mean, this is a guy who got denied chances to go play college golf at the University of Texas, at Stanford, some of the best collegiate golf programs in the country. And they didn't want him because they didn't think he had a short game. They said he couldn't putt. They said he could drive the crap out of the ball. But when it came down to finishing, he didn't have what it takes. I mean, did you watch that masterful putting performance from Zalatoris this weekend? He really dominated those greens. And those were some of the most unpredictable greens I've seen in Augusta. I mean, look, it's one of the most intricate, difficult courses in the country. There's no hiding it, right? It's the reason Augusta National is what it is. 
But Zalatoris went out there when many guys struggled. You know, the greens changed from days one and two when they were fast and unforgiving. All of a sudden, day three, you, you needed a little extra oomph on your putt to get it in the cup. And Zalatoris was able to read it. He was able to keep up every day with the change in cups, the change in the green. And he was incredible. I mean, that, that was not a fluke performance from the 24-year-old. He is going to be on the scene for a long time. And if you're just getting into golf and you need a favorite golfer, look no further than Will Zalatoris. He is so much fun to watch. And oh, by the way, he does drive the crap out of the ball. I mean, 320 with ease off the tee. He is really something special. Jordan Spieth, by the way, my pick to win the Masters. And look, I'm going to brag about this because golf is such a tough sport to predict. And when you can predict a guy, you know, when you call a guy to win, like I picked Jordan Spieth last week, and he finishes T3 tied for third, I'll take that proudly. I mean, Jordan Spieth, my whole logic, because he's been in a slump, and a lot of people have been down on him. But to me, when you look at the Masters, whether you're betting it, whether you're just looking to make a prediction or a pick, when you look at the Masters, course history, in my opinion, matters way more than a guy's recent stretcher performances. I mean, look at Francesco Molinari, right? Had a total meltdown day four, but the first three days, he was in the mix. And he's a guy who has really, since his 2019 Masters meltdown on day four, he's a guy who has really struggled for the better part of two years. But through Saturday this year at Augusta, he was incredible. I mean, you know, he wasn't in the mix to win, but he was in the mix to finish top 20. And, you know, a guy like Tony Finau, he was considered a long shot. I believe plus 3,300 coming into the weekend. He finished top 10. Course history at Augusta, and I'll stand by this until I'm consistently proven otherwise. Course history down there matters more than anything. Matters more than hot streaks. Matters more than the past year, even the past two years. It's all about how guys handle the course. Not just physically, you know, how they're able to put up with the intricacies of the course, but also mentally. Right, You go into the Masters, it is unlike any other major, unlike any other weekend, any other tournament in golf. It is such a mental game. You know, Bryson DeChambeau is one of the most talented young golfers in the world. He stinks at Augusta, and he stinks every single year at Augusta. I would never pick DeChambeau. He could win two, three tournaments straight coming into Augusta. I would never pick him to win the Masters. I mean, this is a guy who drives the ball further than anyone else in the game, yet he gets to Augusta and he gets the yips. It really is that simple. So Jordan Spieth, I mean, I can't wait now. You know, he won uh, two weekends ago. He won the tournament, I believe down in Texas. I'm forgetting the name of it, leading into the Masters. So to see that top three performance from Spieth tied with, of course, Xander Schauffele, who's another guy, plays Augusta great. To see that, I love seeing Spieth back because he is one of the more fun, exciting guys in the game. And even though he's another guy, feels like he's been around a long time. He's still a young guy, and he's still got a lot more golf in him, and he's a guy who, if you're looking to latch on, I mentioned Zalatoris, you know, look no further than Jordan Spieth. You can't miss him, decked out in Under Armour every tournament. He is just one of the easiest guys to root for. But Hideki Matsuyama winning that green jacket. I mean, people I saw online talking about this weekend calling it a boring tournament, saying it didn't have the storylines. No, 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 no. If you look, the storylines were there. I mean... Matsuyama's performance was masterful. Day three, you know, maybe day four wasn't as exciting as everyone hoped. And of course, day four is the biggest viewership. I, I get it. But if you watch day three, it was plenty exciting. Uh, I mean, what he did, don't forget, he hadn't won a tournament in almost four 
years, since August 2017, the Bridgestone Invitational over in Akron, Ohio. And just like this Masters, it took a massive one-day performance for Matsuyama to solidify his victory. Nine under on the final day in Akron. He went from fourth place going into the day to first, not in a close race either, won it by five strokes. He's got a knack for the big day. And while it wasn't day four this weekend in Augusta, he delivered on day three out of about that two-hour rain delay. Matsuyama came out and took over the back nine, right? Entered the day, tied for sixth place, left the day up big. Justin Rose couldn't, I mean, Rose was, he was the two-day leader going into Saturday. Seven under. He could not figure it out coming out of that rain delay. He really struggled with the greens. You know, Tony Finau was a guy who was potentially making a run. Finished top 10, maybe could have finished top five, but another guy struggled with the greens on Saturday coming out of that rain delay. But Hideki Matsuyama, as poised and stoic as he is, he hung in there. He read everything beautifully, didn't jump ahead, didn't look ahead. And he delivered a massive day three to win one of the best masters I've ever watched. An incredible performance for him, an incredible weekend for the Asian American community, the Asian community bringing the green jacket back to Japan with him. He was seen casually carrying it through the airport on Monday, going back to Japan to be with his wife and kids. An incredible weekend for golf. I really hope everyone out there enjoyed it as much as I did. When we return here on Sorallo Sports Talk, Jarrett Bailey joins the show. We're talking Julian Edelman. We're talking Jarrett's Pittsburgh Steelers. I got to give him the respect, of course. Pittsburgh beat my Giants last year opening day. He'll never let me forget it. And we're going to get into some mock drafts. So stick with me, Joe Sorallo, right here on Sorallo Sports Talk. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show. He's a repeat offender, NFL contributor for Fansided and Sports Illustrated Now, co-host of the Laces Out Pod, and my good friend, Jarrett Bailey. Jarrett, great to talk to you, man. What's going on, pal? It's been a minute. It's been too long. I think last time yes. we spoke was uh, was right ahead of your Steelers taking care of my Giants week one of the NFL that, season, so it's been a while. So it was, yeah, right before they won 11 straight and then broke my heart down the stretch as they, they tend to do. So Worst 11-0 team I have ever seen, man. Worst 11 and 0 team. Ever. Hey, now here's the thing people assume that that's like an insult. Like, how many 11 0 teams have there been? So, I'm not gonna. There's been quite a few. I mean, you know, it's not like they were 16 and 0. You know, if you were gonna say worst 16 and 0 team ever, it's yeah. like, oh, well, there's been two sucking, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, pretty much 11 and 0. Eh. Look, we're gonna get to the Steelers, we're gonna get to James Conner. That's a move mm. I think you saw coming a mile away. Yeah, I want to start though. Anyone who follows you on Twitter at NFL, great follow. Go get on it right now. Anyone who follows you on Twitter, the first thing they see, your pinned tweet, is mm. a rant, a great rant from about, what, two years ago? Yeah, February 8th, 2019. Okay, so yeah, two years ago. Uh-huh. It's a rant of you going off as to why Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. And just yeah. this week, Julian Edelman 
has announced his retirement. And now the debate is all over. National talk shows everywhere. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? Jarrett, why isn't he? I mean, just look at his numbers, mate. They speak for themselves. And everybody, you know, they want to point out the fact, well, he's second all time in receiving yards. Well, let's let's look at the fact that he got there every year because of, you know, old Captain America in 12 and Bill Belichick on the sidelines. So it's not as if Julian Edelman was the reason that New England was getting to the playoffs. So it helps when you're in the playoffs every year. You look at his regular season stats, what does he have? 36 touchdowns. I'm actually trying to pull it up right now just so I don't mess anything yeah, up. Yeah, he does. But and I believe about 6,000 yards. 6,000 yards. And there's guys like Heinz Ward who have been – they can't even get to the semifinalist portion of it when Heinz Ward has 1,000 catches, double the yards that Julian Edelman has, has been a pro bowler multiple times over. He has a Super Bowl MVP as well. He does also was an incredible blocker, maybe the yeah. best blocking wide receiver of his era. And so if there's a guy like that or guys like, you know, Isaac Bruce, who I still don't know, is Isaac Bruce in yet? I don't think Isaac Bruce is in yet. He might have been. I believe he's in. I think Torrey Holt's not. Torrey Holt's not, yes. Yeah. So, Reggie I mean, Wayne even, is not. Even that, like, Isaac Bruce had to wait forever. Chris Carter had to wait forever. And the fact that everybody's just, like, penciling Julian Edelman in, who just, it boggles my mind. You look at his regular season stats. I mean, Lavernius Coles was a better <laughs> receiver statistically. You love uh, that comparison. I do. I really do. Because it, like, it wasn't, when I made the video, it wasn't close. Like, it was Lavernius Coles far and away. Now, obviously, it's been two years and Julian Edelman had a little bit of a catch-up. But still, I think he's like 150-something in all-time receiving yards. Yeah. Um, so, I, I saw something where it was, I think Ladanian Tomlinson had more um, receiving yards than he did. I can see Christian McCaffrey having more receiving yards when his career is done. He is just so – if Julian Edelman played for the Arizona Cardinals, nobody would give a damn. Uh, He's just – now, Mike Tanier um, put out a tweet, and I thought it was funny, um, saying how – you know, if we combined all of Tom Brady's white guys into a Hall of Fame bus, just like <laughs> Amendola, Welker, Amendola Edelman. Welker, and Edelman just onto one bus and just literally have written on the bus Tom Brady's white guys, <laughs> I don't think I'd be too upset with that. But, you know, everybody wants to point out, oh, he left his imprint on the game. Well, those moments, they're already in Ken. Like, those moments aren't going to be forgotten. So I think people who don't understand how the Hall of Fame works just assume that it's just all the bus. And if you're not in the Hall of Fame, then everybody forgets about you. It's not just, you know, the, the Hall of Fame bus. It's, you know, historical moments throughout the game's history. So Julian Edelman's moments are already in there. And his moments are the only thing that need to be in there. He'll be in the Patriots Ring of Honor, but that's really the only post-career accolade that he should get. That He shouldn't sniff the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, look, you know, we made the comparisons. Heinz Ward, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt. How about Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco, whatever the hell he wants to be called nowadays? I mean, 4,000 more receiving yards. He had, I'm I'm looking at it right now, 31 more touchdowns. Edelman had 36. Johnson had 67. Six-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. Edelman, never a Pro Bowler, never All-Pro. You know, Johnson's a guy who I think, just like Reggie Wayne, just like Torrey Holt, just like Heinz Ward, I think Chad Johnson's a Hall of Famer. It's tough for wide receivers to make the Hall of Fame. Edelman nowhere near a lot of guys who should be I mean Lynn Swan he is on he is on the NFL 1980s all decade team the Hall of Fame's all decade team for the 80s Lynn Swan can't get in how is Edelman going to get in who had better postseason moments than Lynn Swan I mean it's 
I'm with you, man. To me, it's not even a debate. Like it shouldn't take up a full week of sports talk. It should be about one day. Congrats on a great career. Congrats on three rings. You're in the hall of very good. That's, that's where it ends. Is he even in the hall of very good? I think he's in the <laughs> hall of pretty decent. Like it's, you look at his stats, mate. It's just, he's a grinder. There's nothing I'll, there I'll that screams. That's fair. Yeah, sure. He's a grinder. And again, if he wasn't a Patriot, we wouldn't care. It's just annoying. Yeah. And, you know, Chad Johnson, I mean, you brought up Chad Johnson. So I don't think he's going to get in. I don't think a lot of really good guys are going to get in, but it's, it's not the hall of very good. It's not the hall of good. It's, you got to be incredible and special to get in. And Julian Edelman was not incredible or special. He was a guy who played with Tom Brady and benefited from it. Yeah. I mean, he was tough. He was cerebral. He was, can, do we have any other of those, uh, those combine words for white guys we can toss out? Any of there? those other white, yeah, for <laughs> white guys, um, uh, sneaky athletic. Yeah. 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 Surprisingly fast. Uh, great footwork. Good yeah. locker room presence. Mm. Julian Edelman was really all those things. Look, he was a college quarterback at Kent State, a JUCO transfer to Kent State, got in the league as a punt returner. I mean, don't forget, he played both ways. This is a guy who earlier in his career was also a D-back. In fact, mm. is he the last white cornerback that you can remember? Like, notable white cornerback? Notable white corners. Um, I mean, there's a few, like, safeties, but... The yeah, last yeah, safeties are different. A safety or a corner? I think safety. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, there's not a lot. Was Cortland Finnegan like half white? I, I honestly don't know. That's not the. Well, I mean, his, I his name was like straight out of Dublin, but I'm pretty sure he was light skinned. Yeah. Okay. So, no, I honestly don't remember. Now, I don't know if Washington ever uses Troy Apke as a corner, but he is technically a safety as well. So, yeah, no, he might be the. Uh, the really last one. Why is that? Why is it? Why are there no white? I don't know. I like it's yeah. It makes no sense to me. You have a better chance. I think of seeing a black kicker than a white cornerback. Marquette King. Well, kick. I, I said, I specifically said kicker. Cause oh, I was thinking sorry. about him being sorry. a punter. No, yeah. yeah. You're hundred. I mean, you're right. Although he's a guy, by the way, who deserves a job. The fact that he doesn't have a job. Do you watch his like trick shots that he'll post online? Yeah, I saw the one that he did the other day where he kicked the light posts, and I don't understand. Well, first of all, I don't understand why John Gruden got rid of him whenever he he went to the Raiders again. Um, he was I in the it was, he was in the money. XFL. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been. Uh, I know I know that he went to the XFL and did well, and then now he's still there's. I don't think there's 32 punters better than Marquette King. I'm sure there's teams that are looking for punter help. Why not? bring it I, I don't get it either yeah but. i don't think there's 10 punters better than him i mean the guy's in and not yeah. only is he a great punter but he's you know one of the few totally for the brand like he is a great athlete yeah so yeah i don't get it either it's it's a weird situation i mean i i'd assume he'll get signed at some point during a camp or something i mean that would make the most sense wouldn't it it definitely would hey your pittsburgh steelers juju's back james connor's oh. not which surprised you more? Definitely Juju coming back. Um, Did you want him I, back or were you done? No, no, I was very much done. I was ready. I was singing Kumbaya. And then <laughs> the I remember what I was doing. I had just done a, a, a live stream and I looked at my phone and Schefter had tweeted that there's a strong chance that Juju comes back. And then right after that, there was the reports that Steven Nelson was going to be released. And I was like, if we're releasing Steven Nelson to make room for Juju, I'm going to be irate. 
Now, obviously, more details have come out about the whole Steven Nelson situation, and it wasn't centered around Juju. So that's what it is. But I Juju's mystery, I don't know Juju personally, so I'm not gonna try to like attack him. But the fact that we're the same age as as Juju, and how old are you, Joe? I think you're around. I'm 22. I'll be 23 in a couple months. Okay, so yeah, we're we're around the same age as Juju Smith-Schuster. I he just doesn't feel like a stealer to me. He feels like a 16 year old girl trapped in this world class athlete's body, and it's just annoying. What's the problem with the dude? I mean, 16 year old girl that fits the bill. It's just annoying, man, and. I'm tired of the dancing. I was so tired of him. Like he made it a thing where he would still dance on the logos during the losing streak and not when he did it against Cincinnati and he got clapped for it. And I was like, you know what? Well-deserved. And I was ready for him to be gone. And I wrote a piece on fan sided before the season even started last year that this was, you know, a make or break year for both James Conner and Juju. And if you would have asked me around week seven, if he was coming back, I would have said probably like 90%. Yeah. But all that stuff down the stretch, the dancing on the logos during the losing streak, the Browns is the Browns. It just, all of it was leading up to, yeah, bro, this, he's not going to be back either. And I'm totally okay with that. And then he comes back. It turns down a lot of money from Kansas city and Baltimore. It's great that he loves the city so much, but I just, I just want him to mature. Like, where's the maturity in the Steelers' locker room now? Because it sure as hell isn't in the wide receivers' room. You know, Chase Claypool got in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, so, I was going to say, what do you think about Claypool? I mean, he was, you know, this, this guy was Mapletron the first half of last season, and then his performance came back down to earth, made that remark about the Browns after getting embarrassed wildcard weekend, said, oh, well, have fun getting destroyed by Kansas City. First off, what does that say about you guys? If the Browns just destroyed you, and now you're saying they're going to get destroyed. Did you not think that you would have had a chance against Kansas City? And then wasn't there also like a bar fight with Claypool or something recently? Yeah, he kicked somebody at a bar or something like that. But nice. like, nice even like those comments, like you just sound like you sound like a like 14 year old in a Call of Duty game chat. Like, what are <laughs> we here? We're professional yeah. freaking athletes, and you're asking, like, ah, they're going to lose anyway. Who gives a like? Who? Uh, yeah, it drives me insane. The lack of maturity from professional athletes, like. If you and I can understand things that you should and shouldn't say, shouldn't they? <laughs> like, it's in a perfect just, world. <laughs> yeah. Know. And it's just gotten to the point where the team is just so immature. And the fact that, you know, they, there are still locker room leaders there. I mean, bringing back Cam Hayward for the next few years is big. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, Ben is still there, but it, it's becoming more of a young team. And, a lot of the young guys on the team are just so damn immature. And that worries me a lot, especially, I mean, I like Tomlin. Uh, He's a player friendly coach though. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that is that's being let slide in Pittsburgh would never go down in a place like a new England. And I hate comparing, you know, anything to Bill Belichick or anything, but it does make sense in this situation where none of this stuff happens in places that consist that consistently, you know, win. And Pittsburgh has been a little bit, back and forth of that recently so well i mean look there's still a consistent winner tomlin's been there 14 years never had a losing record i mean eight eight and eight is the worst it's been in 14 years it's not bad i guess i'll say they haven't had playoff success in the past decade the last you know really takes a playoff success that they had was the run to super bowl 45 now they did make an afc championship game where they lost to new england but 
that's the only appearance since the 2011 Super Bowl. So yeah, and they got Netflix, embarrassed in that championship game. They did, yeah, which is not unusual when they when they played New England in in that time span. Yeah. Now, so Juju's back. I mentioned James Conner gone, and you, you know, to your credit, you talked about that fan sided piece you wrote before the season when you came on my show. I don't know if it was back in August or in September when you were on, but you talked about preparing for. Connor and Juju to both be gone after this year. Connor is gone now. He's headed to Arizona. And I don't know, maybe he's a guy I don't like to look at objectively because he is a great feel-good story. And he played his college ball at Pitt and he kicked cancer's ass. I mean, his performance on the field last year wasn't as promising. Pittsburgh was one of the worst, if not, were they dead last in terms of rushing offense in the league? Yeah, they're the worst rushing offense in the league. Yeah, so obviously change needed in that backfield. Also change needed schematically in the offense. But take your writer cap off for a second. As a fan, does it hurt to see Connor go? No. Really? No. no. He, okay. Here's the thing. about You don't like the feel-good bullshit, huh? No, I don't. I don't like how every game we have to be reminded of the – I, I think he's tired of it too, though. Like, yeah. I don't want – I wouldn't – if I was James Connor, I wouldn't want my entire career to be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that beat cancer every time you're on the field. And it just got, first of all, I mean, great for him. It's an incredible story and he deserves all the praise in the world for it. But at some time, you know, that's gotta, you gotta look at the player here and the past two years, he wasn't good. So no, I wasn't sorry to see him go. I hope he does well. I mean, that's not me wishing James Conner bad or anything. I hope he does well, but I'm glad that he's not in Pittsburgh anymore. Um, And I feel like, a lot of and obviously he was a fan favorite because he played at Pitt and because of the story and everything. But no, I just I wasn't sorry to see him go whatsoever. Hope he does well. I wish him nothing but the best, but no, not even a little upset to see him go. All right. Wow. Jared Bailey, cold blooded. Now look, I want to talk quarterbacks because okay. it's obvious it's apparent. Trevor Lawrence going to Jacksonville at one. Zach Wilson, who for those of you that don't know, Jarrett has a ceiling poster of Zach Wilson in, in his dorm room at school. Um, right, He keeps the lotion right next to his Zach Wilson football card. Zach Wilson's going to the Jets number two. The San Francisco 49ers, all recent reports are that Mac Jones is their guy at number three. I mean, if you're the GM there, you're John Lynch, and you have Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, who are you taking there at three? I think Justin Fields is the pick, and I think that this is just another case of Let's it's smoke and mirrors here. There is you don't give up what the 49ers gave up to take Mac Jones. And there's so much history between Justin Fields and Kyle Shanahan from Quarterback Collective. They know each other well. They're going to the pro day today, which is going to be exciting. So we'll see how Justin Fields does at the second pro day. Um, Mac Jones, to me, and you know, Bucky Brooks actually had the balls to say it, isn't a first round talent. And I agree. I completely yeah. agree. So no, I do think Fields is the pick. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Trey Lance. I'd be – right now I'm kind of 80% Fields, 20% Lance on the pick. I just think the history that the two, in terms of Shanahan and Fields, have together from the quarterback camps and whatnot, I just think it makes too much sense. They didn't trade up to to take Mac Jones. So I, I do think Fields is the pick. Now, the Jets – the Jets are going to be fun. You got to talk about Zach Wilson, don't you? I do. Any chance I get to talk about Zach Wilson, who helps me fall asleep when I can't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, to me, it's just like, you know, if I was picking second, frankly, so we're in agreement. Fields should be the third pick. 
You actually think yeah. he will be, whereas I, I think he will be. I, I don't know. I mean, all reports are that San Fran's so enamored by Mac Jones. I, I can't say with any certainty he will be. I, I can say he should be. Then again, I think that at number two, Fields should be the pick. And I know you disagree uh, with me adamantly there. Yeah, I just look, I've done six film reviews on Zach Wilson <laughs> since December. No one asks for these anymore. You do them because no, no I, I literally don't know. Like, oh, what the hell? I'll do another one. I'm considering doing a seventh when I'm bored. But look, <laughs> he he's like this weird hybrid. Like he's kind of a little bit of Kyler Murray and Josh Allen rolled into one. He, mm-hmm. I think his his scrambling ability is so underrated, and he's got wheels. But his arm, bro, it is a absolute piss missile. Which you you watch the film. There's no one who's better at just extending the play. And seeing a guy in one-on-one and saying, fuck it, he's down there somewhere. And then making the putting the ball where it needs to get. So um, in terms of improbability and making something out of nothing, I think he's the best in this class at doing that, which he had to do a decent, amit, decent amount of at BYU. Um, so no, he, he's my favorite quarterback in this draft. And I would sell my soul to the devil if it meant getting him in a Steelers uniform. But uh, wow. And yeah. here I look at this guy and I think that he just wants to be Zach Efron's body double in uh, Baywatch. I mean, hey, he does look, he kind of looks like, um, uh, what I saw a tweet that said that he looks like like every villain in like a, a teen drama movie. <laughs> like a teen Disney movie or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, let, let's face it. If he went to any other school besides BYU, like any school where there was like more than a 40% African-American roster, his mm-hmm. nickname would be Abercrombie. Like, yes, because he went to BYU, he could get away with looking like that. But yeah. in, in any NFL locker room, he's going to walk in and they're going to be like, stop Abercrombie. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine well, him walking in. Like, I could just see the smile on Quinn and Williams face, like <laughs> him laughing, being like, hmm, look at this guy when he walks into the Jets locker room. Well, I, I'm trying to find out how to trademark things because I'm going to try to trademark the nickname, the Mormon piss missile, because I just think that that's fantastic. The Mormon missile. I like that one. See, I... I just like piss missile a lot. I don't know well, why. I just think it adds the, a whole new, like. Yeah, I mean, I'm also a baseball guy, but yeah. yeah, to me, piss missile was always like piss missile, cock rocket. Those were always cock like. Rocket. That's nice. Yeah, those were always like, wow, that guy just hit a cock rocket over the uh, over the right center field fence. I hope to God that whoever, the, the Coastal Carolina quarterback, I hope that he just kicks ass. That way we can just call him the Coastal Cock Rocket. That would be. <laughs> That would be fantastic. I'm a big fan of alliteration. So yeah, anything... that, that's why I took piss out of it. That's why I just yeah. the Mormon missile. All right. That's fair. TM that, sell some we'll, gear. And then we'll you can, co- like... we can, we can collab on Mormon missile t-shirts. Yeah. And you can, you know, start like that fan page on Twitter, like the K Adams fan page, which I mean, I'm sure you watch that's, Good morning football. That's borderline creepy. I think it's a I woman. Just like to point I, out. I think it's a woman who. Oh, wrote. is it? Okay, yeah. if it's a woman, then that's fine. But if it's like some dude, like forty-seven-year-old dude, bald goatee, beer gut, then I'm scared. Yeah, I actually did see a guy post a a, a, a picture of him at the gym where, with a shirt that just had Kay Adams' face on it. That's horrifying. And she actually like retweeted it and was like, "I don't know how I feel about this." Yeah, like, bro, that's women that's bad. Spo- women in sports, bro. I tip of the cap to them because yeah. um, the things that I see on Twitter daily in terms of like, now a lot of them, a lot of the women in sports that I follow, they're just starting to like exploit people, mate. And Are you talking is, about Gab Goody? I'm talking about Gab, bro. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, we've, uh, she's shared a few pictures of her DMs. Speaking it's, of uh, 
cock rockets. <laughs> it's yeah. Speaking of cock rockets, like it's horrifying. Look, it really bro. is this simple. If they want to see your junk, guys, They'll they're going to ask it. for it. It really is that simple. You know, Jared, you, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago that you were thinking about if you're bored doing a seventh film review of Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. But that tells me is you need to go on more dates. So I just want to formally on the show, I've said this off air, welcome yeah. to the single life. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a few months, right? Yeah, so it actually happened the day before I went to the Senior Bowl the night before amazing amazing first off that is so shitty to drop that on you before like the biggest week career-wise of your life so shitty yeah. um what is your yeah. worst date story since the worst break? worst date story oh did you get fat fished yeah <laughs> <laughs> i did oh it did. always happens always so, happens yeah. on those apps yeah i'm actually uh it was it was I was alone for a few days because my two roommates went to Philly to visit a friend. My mm-hmm. other roommate actually had a kid. So um, he I was went zero to 60. Yeah. Yeah. So he was with his baby. It's another Bumble success kid. story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was bored and alone and I, I, yeah, I got fat fish, bro. Um, you know, when they come over and you see it, you're like, ah, fuck, I can't tell her. <laughs> that's why it's never, that's why the move is not come over. The move is let's go for a drink. And then if it goes well, mm. you come back. Because if it doesn't go well, you can respectfully and cordially. I think I told you this story when we talked back in like August, September of the one from the summer who like, you know, I wanted Mykonos Brittany and she was giving me like yeah. Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Yeah. Like, this girl oh, had a picture man. from Mykonos. That, that's why, that's why I referenced that. Right. She like sick body saw her in person was like that was 40 pounds ago um uh, <laughs> but by you know way, we're not no, by no means are we fat shaming here there's just some no no, no we're a, not we're not fat shaming we're catfish shaming yeah yeah exactly you look like and your pl- pictures and plus if women can like what's the word i'm looking for segregate men based off their height <laughs> i think yeah. that we i think we can do that off something that can be controlled rather than what we cannot that's why I make sure to put six foot four in my profile. So you lie. No, I'm six foot three and three quarters. I uh, I, did I did not, not think lie. you were that tall. Oh no, I am. I am six three and three quarters. Uh, I just have. And when the quaff is in full effect, I'm well over six four. So I actually became an ordained minister for shits and giggles. And I, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were having like a quarter life or a fifth life. No, break. no, no, no. Uh, no, it took me 30 seconds and I thought it'd be funny. And I got it solely for the purpose so I can make my Tinder bio. I can legally marry people. So amazing. Yeah, that, that was the sole purpose of, of getting that. And plus, I mean, if there's ever a wedding that is in need of a minister, I'll write down it's a road. free way to get into a wedding. Ministers don't have to give gifts. Yeah, exactly. Wedding crushers. I love it. I love it. Hey, before we wrap things up, back to uh, mock draft talk. Okay. Because that you're an expert, and we love a good mock draft here on Sorallo Sports Talk. Mm. Where do you see the big five quarterbacks landing? And which team do you think maybe like a Washington or a Chicago reaches on a quarterback that is just not worth the pick? Um, so Trevor Lawrence will go one to Jacksonville. Zach yeah. Wilson, Zach Wilson two to the Jets. I still think it'll be Fields at three for the 49ers. And then I think there's going to be some, I think Atlanta's looking to move down um, mm-hmm. because what they, what they need isn't, it'll be there if they move down. So I think a team like Denver could trade up. 
Uh, a team like Washington still very much in the run to trade up for, for Trey Lance. So I think Trey Lance goes at four. Um, it's just a matter of who decides to trade up for him. So it could be Denver. It could be Washington. I think those are the two that I would. Carolina still in the for. market in your opinion or no? No, the only, the only reason Carolina wouldn't be is because one, they just traded for Sam Darnold and picked up his fifth year option. If you draft a quarterback, especially in the top 10, you're expecting him to play in at least two years. What's that say to Sam Darnold? That means, all right, we got you, but we don't believe in you. So exactly. I'm with you on that hundred percent. I saw an NFL network yesterday. Someone thinks that they're going to flip Darnold and, uh, to me, it's just like ridiculous speculation yeah. at that point. They got him on a steal, didn't have to give up much. Nope. It was a win-win for uh, for Darnold, for the Jets, for Carolina. A win-win-win, really. Yeah. Um, work, work with the guy. He's got talent. I think Joe Brady can bring out the best in him. I, I agree. So, I mean, Chicago's a team that could also maybe look to trade up, but from their history and their success, I wouldn't expect anything good from them right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean – Mac Jones maybe goes to somewhere like New England, like I wouldn't be surprised if New Orleans made a move to get a quarterback. So if they move up from 20, I think they're 28 or 29. So if they move up and try to get Mac Jones, if he's still there, you know, around picks, you know, 15 to 16. So um, who's the next guy then? Because personally, the way I see it, look, San Fran, all the reports, all the experts are saying Mac Jones, but I'm going to go with you because I think Justin Fields should be the guy at three. Mm-hmm. I would say Denver trades with Atlanta because Atlanta can still get a great cornerback at nine. And that's exactly what they need. A lot of mocks, yeah. you know, mocking Kyle Pitts there for that. Why would they do that when they had the worst defense in football? Julio Ridley, Hayden Hurst at the tight end position. Yeah, I mean, they've got offense. They could, they could score on anyone. They scored on Tampa. Tampa's yeah, incredible defense. I mean, they couldn't stop anybody. So no, they need, except they need Kansas defense. city, ironically enough. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, so I think Denver moves into four for Trey Lance. And I think that if Mac Jones is on the board at 10, I see New England trying to trade up with Dallas there. Uh, I could definitely see that. You know, I do think that New England, it wouldn't shock me to win his quarterback. It definitely wouldn't shock me if they move up to do it. Yeah. Because um, Jones Mac, is the guy who I think could sit behind Newton for a half or a full season and then be the guy. Yeah, no. If there's anybody who could succeed in the New England system, it's Mac Jones. Yeah. And I think that that would fit him perfectly. I don't think. I don't think he's a guy that could go anywhere and succeed. He just doesn't have the physical t- the physical tools to do it. Doesn't have the big arm to do it. He doesn't need a big arm in New England per se. So I think that he could he could go there, wait a little bit, and then take the reins next year or somewhere halfway between this year, like you said. So and then after that, it's just kind of a crapshoot. I mean, Kyle Trask could go early second. Davis Mills could maybe sneak into the early second. Yeah, do you think Mills first. or Kellen Mond or even Trask go late in the first? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about it right now, and there's going to be teams that, you know, that need a quarterback for the future and kind of reach. So if you're a team like New Orleans and you don't trade up, maybe you take a guy like Davis Mills or Kellen Mond or even Kyle Trask. So I'm trying to think of the guy of teams in, you know, the late first that would really need it. Now, I don't think Washington, Chicago. I don't think Pittsburgh is going to reach on a quarterback there. I'm, I'm hoping that they go running back first round and try to get Najee Harris or Travis Etienne if either of them are still there but Najee Harris in the black and gold just running over guys to me I mean like yeah, hurdle, but- hurtling a cornerback one second and lowering a shoulder into a linebacker the next like I just Najee Harris is a Pittsburgh stealer yeah that would make me very happy and God knows that they need running back help they've got the worst running back group in the NFL right now so yeah I think that you know once we get to you know the 20s we're gonna see all right is a team gonna try to move back into the first round or is Chicago gonna stay there and just take somebody a lot higher than they probably should so 
which wouldn't shock me. I mean, we know their history of quarterbacks over the past few years, i.e. Mike Glenn and Mr. Trubisky, Andy Dalton. So Nick Foles. So no, it wouldn't shock me if they reach for a guy that has no business going in the first round, much less the top 20. Um, and they decide to take a guy like Davis Mills, Kellen Monter, Kyle Trask. There you have it. The NFL draft just two weeks away. Jarrett Bailey catches mm-hmm. podcast, the laces out pod and check out his work on fan sided and SI now. Jarrett, thanks so much for the time, man. Of course, buddy. It's good seeing you. We'll be back with my final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk. Incredible spot right there. As always, just a blast talking to my man, Jarrett Bailey. And it's time for my final word. And this week, my final word is not going to have to do with sports at all. But on Monday, the Minnesota Twins, Minnesota Timberwolves, and Minnesota Wild all postponed their respective games to observe the tragic and senseless killing of 20-year-old Dante Wright during a traffic stop over the weekend. Look, this traffic stop occurred approximately 10 miles from the courtroom where currently, right now as we speak, Derek Chauvin is on trial for murdering George Floyd in public last summer. Dante Wright's mother gave him $50 and her car to take it for a wash. And the result was him being pulled over reportedly for having an air freshener obstruct the view of his rear view mirror and ultimately murdered. And the officer who murdered Dante Wright, 26-year veteran of the police force, Kim Potter, she is also, or was, as she has recently resigned, she was the president of the local chapter of her police union. And she claimed that she thought she was tasing him. That she didn't know, 26 years on the force, she didn't know the difference between a taser and a gun. Between an object that weighs about 8 ounces and an object that weighs close to 3 pounds. She didn't know. 26 years, a quarter of a century on the force. And she got flustered and accidentally shot someone. A 20-year-old. A 20-year-old father of a baby that she thought she was tasing. None of it adds up. Frankly, none of it's true. I mean, people say that right now, and it's disgusting, it's disturbing, it's unsurprising though, that people want to somehow justify this killing. People say that there was a warrant out for Dante Wright's arrest, that he was a criminal who had it coming, as absurd and gross as even me repeating other people's words there sounds, there was a warrant out for Dante Wright's arrest. It was because he failed to make a payment during a pandemic for a guilty plea for a misdemeanor of smoking a joint in public. That was what he was cited for, smoking a freaking joint. He pled guilty, and the money was due to be collected in the middle of a pandemic. 
Now, am I saying it's right that he didn't pay? No, frankly, that's not the issue right now. You're talking about, what, $180 for smoking a joint? That has nothing to do with his murder. He was not a violent criminal. He was unarmed. He had no weapon in the car. The officers had no reason to fear for their lives, to feel it necessary to draw their weapons. It was another case of being pulled over for driving while black. And if you believe in the air freshener bullshit, I saw, I read on Twitter earlier this week, and I've heard this from several people myself directly. Uh, A reporter, I believe for ABC, tweeted out earlier this week on Twitter that she used to date an LAPD officer. And shortly before breaking things off with him, he was bragging to her that officers frequently... Now, not all officers, but officers with the wrong intentions frequently will pull over black or Latino drivers and use an air freshener as an excuse to pull them over and run their plates and see what they find on them. That's what this was. This wasn't an air freshener obstructing his view. I mean, how many people do I know? How many people do you know that have dice hanging from their mirror, that have air fresheners hanging from their rearview mirror that have crosses hanging from their rearview mirror. In the past year, I keep my mask and I know so many other people that keep masks hanging from their rearview mirror. Guess what? It doesn't obstruct your view at all. And I've never been pulled over for it. I drive past cops almost every day. No one's ever pulled me over for having a mask hanging from my rearview mirror because I'm a well-groomed white guy who at a glance to an officer is No threat whatsoever because of my privilege due to the color of my skin. But I'm a white guy who has a half-black brother who is autistic and has never had a run-in with police officers, likely because his disability has never called for it. But I do know that when my father has been pulled over with my brother in the car, he's felt the need to alert officers that my brother has a disability and might make sudden movements and that he's not a threat. And I do know that there are days, and this is sickening for me to even think of, there are days I'm thankful that my brother is autistic, has a disability, and that he can't drive a car and that he can't go on a date with a white girl and that he can't do any normal thing that would give a police officer reason to be suspicious of him to pull him over, to create a conflict with him. I'm thankful that my brother's disabled because because of that, my brother can't end up like Dante Wright. He can't end up like Lieutenant Karan Nazario down in Virginia, who has served this nation's military with the utmost class and character and was treated like a second-class citizen during an, an illegal traffic stop in December that now he's suing the town of Windsor, Virginia over. I mean, here's a man who, when cops signaled to pull over, he slowed down his vehicle, drove up the road to a well-lit gas station, because that's something that minorities have to think about, that I, as a white man, as a privileged man, would never have to think about. I'd pull over on the spot, because I would never have to think about being in a well-lit, protected area, so that anything that may happen to me can be seen by other people, can be recorded more clearly. I mean, these are thoughts that have never crossed my mind, things that I was never taught as a kid because there was no need for it because 
I'm white. And here he was, a lieutenant in his military uniform. And he was pepper sprayed. And he was told he should be afraid when Officer Joe Gutierrez yelled at him to get out of the car. And he said, honestly, officer, as he was showing his hands out the window, I'm afraid to unbuckle my seatbelt because I'm afraid to put my hands in a position where you can't see them. And the response from that Officer Gutierrez was, you should be. The same officer who said, wow, you're fixing to ride the lightning, son. Meaning, you're ready to go to the electric chair. I mean, a traffic stop turned into an officer talking about the death penalty. A traffic stop over a temporary license plate. Which, by the way, considering that Lieutenant Nazario had a brand new car, it's completely normal that he had a temporary cardboard license plate. In his rear window. I mean, this is the society we're living in. Everything that happened last summer, George Floyd, the protests, the riots, the public outrage, it's still going on. This instance with Lieutenant Nazario happened in December. It just has finally come to light in the past week. Dante Wright killed, murdered over the weekend. And I already addressed the warrant out for Wright's arrest, right? To pay a about $180 fine for smoking marijuana. Absurd. Absolutely absurd when most states have at least decriminalized, if not legalized, marijuana. I'll tell you this, no white guy has been killed, and not in 2021, not in decades, over smoking a joint. But the the thing about the warrant that doesn't add up is Dante Wright, as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, was driving his mother's car, was given his mother's car to take to the car wash. So that warrant wasn't found by running the plates. So that warrant that people are now using disgustingly, disturbingly as a defense for his assassination, there's a good chance, I would say an almost certain chance, that that warrant wasn't even discovered until after Dante Wright was killed and left lying bloodied and dead in the streets for nearly six hours. And then there's social media. Right, People want to point to Dante Wright's social media and a specific video of him listening to a rap song. I listen to rap. I'm a harmless white guy. I listen to rap. And smoking a joint and waving a gun. Is that a good look? No. Is it idiotic? Yes. Now, how was that gun obtained? I don't know. And there's a chance that it could have been an illegally obtained gun. There's also a chance that Dante Wright never did anything harmful with that gun. And that gun, by the way, was not on him at the time of this traffic stop. Do you know how many white guys, friends of mine, people I know, maybe some I'm friends with, some I'm not friends with, but how many white guys I know that have taken pictures, even posted pictures, holding a gun or waving a gun in one hand with a drink, a beer or something in the other hand, posting a a rap quote underneath it, trying to look like a badass. You know, these guys have never been harmed by law enforcement and then looked at and said, oh, well, they took a picture with a gun once. They deserve to die. Now, these guys have jobs. Some of them actually very good jobs. These guys have good families. They're idiots. They're young. I'm a young person. I've been an idiot at times. I've never held a gun outside of a shooting range, but... I mean, these are things that people in my situation, people who look like me, people who come from my neighborhood don't have to worry about. 
They can take a picture holding a gun, put up a rap quote, and people will be like, oh, you know, either that looks cool or uh, what an idiot. But it's left at that. It's idiocy. What Dante Wright did was a stupid decision that a kid made that no one got hurt as a result of. And now it's being used against him as justification for him being murdered, as justification for a kid being orphaned. I mean, it's sickening. It's absolutely disgusting. And something that I came across just earlier that's not surprising again, but equally as disgusting is that George Floyd's girlfriend at the time of his murder was actually one of Dante Wright's teachers growing up. And that just shows you, if nothing else, the systemic racism, the impact that it has on communities. And that this woman, here she is, she's lost her boyfriend and she's lost a former student within a year at the hands of those who were supposed to defend the law and protect the citizens in their jurisdiction. I, I mean, it's, it's never ending. It's a 400 year cycle that is never ending. And Dante Wright, make no mistake about this, is dead right now because he was driving while black. And Lieutenant Nazario, who has given everything to defend this country, who loves a country that at times does not at all love him back, he is now in the middle of a lawsuit and he was humiliated and he was beaten and had his knees taken out and he was treated like an absolute second-class citizen, treated worse than an animal because he was driving while black. And his military uniform did nothing to protect him from local law enforcement who had a very specific agenda that evening. It's disgusting. It's disturbing. It's America. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.